Hello, hello, hello. It's me, Jan Goldstein. Welcome to All That Matters. And thanks to many of you for writing in this past week, and you enjoyed the opening chapter of my first novel, All That Matters, which is the namesake of this podcast. I will continue to read selections from that that novel in coming weeks um, and refer to what about that uh, reveals both the good stuff in life and what truly matters and how it helped shape a young woman uh, who was ready to commit suicide and how her Holocaust surviving grandmother gets out of her sick bed in New York, comes across the country, steals her out of a psychiatric ward in Los Angeles and takes her on a journey across America to help her fall in love with life. That, to me, is one of the most remarkable gifts that I could conjure in art, and that is at the basis of my first um, best-selling novel, All That Matters, that came out of Hyperion Press. This week, I I wanted to tell you, first of all, thanks for writing in to jangoldstein.com. Thanks for telling your friends and neighbors to check out All That Matters on uh, Apple or Spotify or wherever you find your podcast. We're all over the world and we're wherever podcasts are found. And uh, it's thrilling to be here with you. Um, I got to hear James Taylor live night before last. Remarkable. Um, I haven't been to a concert since before the pandemic, and it was just incredible to be. I was fortunate to get some good seats. I was really very close and uh, and got to see him singing and, and not only singing some of the great old songs, but seeing the way, you know, when someone does this, they do it all the time. How many hundreds or thousands of times has he sung uh, Fire and Rain or Sweet Baby James or You've Got a Friend? And yet, how he reinterprets it and how he shares it, how he finds the energy or the truth in it and to communicate to an audience anew. And also that he had his son with him, um, his 20, I think it's 20 or 21-year-old son, Henry, who is now one of his five backup singers and is touring with him since last year. And it was just great. It was like to see, you know, a younger James because he, he his son Henry is also tall and lanky. Uh, and the entire show ended with uh, just the two of them on stage singing a duet. Um, as a dad, I can't think of anything that would touch me more. Uh, but it it caused me to research a little bit about James because of course, I've listened to his music forever. And first of all, I was surprised to find out we share the same birthday. Not the same year, but the same birthday, March 12th. And I found out he was born on March 12th in, in Boston uh, years ago. Um, but I'm also reminded of the struggles that he had with opiates. Uh, and he openly talks about it. Um, he's been sober now for decades. But that's an ongoing battle. And some of you struggle. Some of us in this audience are struggling right now with an addiction of one kind or another. And it reminded me that out of that can come music. That actually in struggling with something or in dealing or facing an addiction, um, 
we can make something out of that. It's sort of goes back to my second um, nonfiction book, Sacred Wounds, in which I talk about succeeding because of life's pain. It's it, it's in taking the pain or taking the struggle um, and finding how to drain the poison out of it, the bad part, the evil part, the hurtful part, and finding that there's actually some light left behind because that's the stuff we learn from. And that's what Taylor did. Uh, I, I didn't realize that Taylor had, uh, you know, after some life in Boston, uh, they had moved to North Carolina and his dad was a doctor and was a, a rather prominent physician there uh, in in the hospital. And they would spend their summers since he was a young boy on Martha's Vineyard, which is next to many of you have heard me talk about Nantucket. My second novel is called The Prince of Nantucket set there. But uh, that's the cousin island right over Nantucket's a little further out to sea from Massachusetts. But Martha's Vineyard is right there. And uh, at 15, he and a friend uh, began playing music on an island. They would play at the local clubs and so forth. Um, and I also, you know, rediscovered, I suppose, uh, that as he struggled uh, in those years with... Uh, um, finding his footing in school, uh, he ended up being sent to a couple different schools um, and then ended up um, in Greenwich Village making music and getting hooked on heroin. And one day his father was talking to him and said, you don't sound well, James. And um, his father, who had had an alcoholic alcohol problem as well, um, got in the car and drove from North Carolina to New York City overnight, picked up James, picked up his his things and drove him home. And he went into a rehab program there. And he said, my dad may have done some things and you may have been having to be very careful, like when did I show him my report card? If he'd had one sip of a drink, you'd get one reaction. If he'd drunk quite a bit, you'd get a different reaction. So even as his father struggled with alcoholism, James had learned to maneuver that. But now here he was with a heroin problem. He said, it made you feel really good. He said, I, when I first started taking it, I thought, man, this is the way life should be. He said, I only found out later that that feeling right there, that feeling when you get that feeling that, oh, that feels so good. That's the warning. That's not real. That's only going to lead to despair. That's going to lead to ruin. And it took him a long time to discover that. But he ended up, as it turns out, and something else we share in common is that he ended up uh, uh, in Stockbridge. And, of course, I always love this, the line he has in his song, uh, um, From Stockbridge to Boston. Um, and he talks about the frosting of, of an early snow. And... Man, growing up in New England, I know that feeling. And uh, the, he ended up in Stockbridge, which is where my newest novel that I'm working on right now is set, um, in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And that's right in the Berkshires and um, home of Norman Rockwell, uh, where Rockwell painted for many, many years. Uh, and there's uh, the Riggs Psychiatric Hospital, which is, by the way, what brought Rockwell to Stockbridge. And that's where James Taylor ended up for a bit. 
um, and got his life together. He said he learned a lot there. And he learned that he really needed exercise. And he says that to this day. Exercise and the making of music is what really put him on a path. Uh, he used exercise in place of the drug. Uh, that became his drug. And that uh, through rowing and biking and various things, he really got his life on track eventually. But it would take, take a while. And it would take a few false steps. Although now he's been sober for decades, he still talks about it at his uh, concerts. And um, I think it's it's rather remarkable. When he went off to England, he was introduced by the boy he had played uh, guitar with on Martha's Vineyard, had introduced him to a friend, Peter Asher, whose sister was dating Paul McCartney at the time, Jane Asher. And Peter Asher had been uh, hired to look out for new acts for the Beatles' new label apple and um peter asher was handed by james taylor's friend danny korchmer uh handed him a a demo of taylor's songs and asher liked what he heard and he brought him in and james taylor said as shaky as i was i was just full of fire and i got to sit down in front of paul mccartney and john lennon and i think george harrison was there as well and I played my songs, and he played something in the way she moves, which, of course, Harrison would later pinch for the beginning of his song, Something. It's because he heard James Taylor play that line. He he borrowed the, the name of the song as his opening line to his, his song, Something. So interesting to find out how we one artist feeds another. Um, but battling his depression and anxiety, which which he had done at, at both at Riggs and at, at the McLean Psychiatric Hospital. Taylor was now writing music um, out of his experience, uh, and, and it was remarkable music. Uh, the Beatles signed him immediately, loved the way he played, uh, and nevertheless, Taylor continued to use drugs, even introduced them to some, to, shared some with John Lennon. He says that was a big mistake. Um, yeah, um, but they were very available, very cheap in London. He says, I picked it up pretty soon after being there. Um, but he ended up having to go back into rehab even after that. And then finally found a life out in Los Angeles, which I hadn't been aware of because here I am in LA and I, I knew about some of the artists who'd been here, but I hadn't known that he was part of that group that was, uh, lived up in Laurel Canyon. And that was a group of Jackson Brown and James Taylor and Joni Mitchell, Carol King, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Linda Ronstadt, Peter Asher himself came over from England and lived there for a bit, and Harry Nilsson. Everybody's talking at me, if you remember that song from Midnight Cowboy. But nevertheless, it was also a time when James wrote Sweet Baby James for his nephew who was being named after him. And for years, I always thought... James Taylor was singing about himself, but he was singing about his nephew and the beauty of that, of what he wished for him. But it was also during that time, um, after he had released Fire and Rain, where he had a line that said, um, there are times when I could not find a friend. And as Carol, Carol King, his friend, was so taken by that that she wrote a song in response, you've got a friend which he would later record and it would become a major hit, as you know. 
Perhaps that's one of your go-to songs. I know it is one of mine. So it was a reminder to him that even though at one point in his life he felt he could not find a friend, she was telling him, you've always got one, and I'm right here. Do you have someone like that? A person who's right there for you. You've got a friend. Sometimes it's ourselves. If we listen to the better part of ourselves, listening, if we listen really fine, if we're peaceful. And James Taylor's music makes me peaceful. My son mentioned I recorded one of his songs, and and, uh, he said, yeah, whenever I listen to JT, I'm always puts me in such a peaceful place it did for me as well tears i uh, welled in my eyes as i listened to him sing because it was putting me in a place that i hadn't been in a long time perhaps that's true for some of you out there Uh, you haven't been in that peaceful place maybe listen to a little james taylor maybe it's some other music that does it for you but nevertheless after fire and rain after You've got a friend. He began to build, began to come back. He had two children with his first wife, Carly Simon. We know they had a rather tempestuous divorce. He married again an actress, Catherine Walker, for 10 years, divorced her. Uh, they were divorced. And um, and then he met Kim. And they've been married since 2001, have two sons, one of whom, Henry, tours with James. And I got to say... As I said earlier, I got to hear both of them sing together. But I think it was in hearing Taylor talk about his wrestling with addiction, coming through meeting the Beatles and working with all these wonderful artists, that he could still find himself at the bottom. And he said, when you're at the bottom, there's nowhere else to go. And I began to believe that I could dig myself out. It was the music that did that, but it was the people around me. And so, this week, this week I'd like you to think a little bit about who are the people around me, who inspire, who connect me to myself, who see me in a way that maybe I don't see myself, and to give thanks for those people. And if you look really hard, one of them might be right inside your skin, urging you on, letting you know you've got a friend. Until next week, I'm Jan Goldstein, and this is All That Matters.